The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are in the book of Psalms, and so if you have a Bible, if you don't, we have one out here. You're welcome to use one of those. Um, We go through the Psalms in the summer, and so what we find ourselves in this week is Psalm 60. We've been working through a series of very interesting psalms that um, are maybe some of the more kind of difficult psalms in the Bible, um, all about like bloodbaths and, you know, gigantic divine wars that make Goliath or uh, Godzilla look like a baby, those sort of things. Um, We are in a simpler psalm (laughs) this morning, thank God, Psalm 60, Um, and uh, we are entitling this Life's Disappointments. but we are in the song, songs of Jesus. So let me read this for us and we'll pray. And then we will look at this together. Psalm 60. Oh God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land a quake. You have torn it open. Repair its breaches for its daughters. You have made your people so we may flee to it from the bow. For you, that your beloved, that your beloved ones may be delivered, give salvation by your right hand and answer us. God has spoken in his holiness. With exaltation, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my waste bin, my wash bin, not waste bin, sorry. My wash bin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe over Philistia. Philistia I shoot and I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? You have have you not rejected us, O God? You do not, God, we shall do valiantly. It is He who will tread down our foes. So let's pray and then we'll start looking at this. Uh, Father, as we look through this psalm that feels a bit depressing. We ask that you would help us uh, to see your goodness for us, your presence among us, and to continue to rehearse your love for us. And so we pray all this, that you would be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure uh, how many of you keep up with meme culture. Um, It's one of my favorite pastimes. A couple years ago, uh, Muhammad Sahir Akhtar uh, became uh, super famous uh, because he was at a cricket game, and in the cricket because he was at a cricket game, and in the cricket game his team for Pakistan, um, Asif Ali dropped a catch, and he can we put this picture up? Famously stood there like this, and just like embodied disappointment. <laughs> And within, within a day, the tweet of this had over 20,000 likes and 3,300 retweets. But this, uh, I think, captures a little bit of what this psalm is all about. This is my meme of Psalm 60 for what David is doing. Dear God, are you for real? <laughs> That's what it feels like is going on in Psalm 60. We can, we can move on so that we don't get distracted by, <laughs> by having him disappointedly looking But the psalm is about disappointment. It's about feeling disappointed with life. It's about feeling, God, what 
are you doing? Because this psalm actually doesn't, we don't actually know where this psalm fits in the historical record of the Bible. Um, it's a part of the Bible where David is out advancing and defeating their enemies, and we don't actually have a historical record. The, the, the beginning of this says that um, it was when Joab, on his return, struck down 12,000 of Edom in the Valley of Salt, but we don't actually have that in the Bible. Like nobody, There's not like a, an official record of that happening. And probably what happened was David's out defeating all their enemies, winning conquests for God, and amidst all of that, his enemies consolidate, they join together, and they attack Jerusalem while David's out. So there's no record of that, but that seems to be kind of like what all the commentators agree happened. And so D- David is, is contemplating this moment where they've got all these victories going on, and yet in the midst of all that, there is a great deal of sadness that is in his heart. There is a great deal of disappointment. But more importantly, I don't think that this psalm is primarily about like the historical record being essential to understanding what's going on in the psalm. The psalm captures the sense of being disappointed. Because if we look at the historical record, we could look at it and say, well, David, you You've got all these good things going for you. Count your blessings. You're advancing the kingdom of God. Don't worry about this other small stuff. Why are you complaining? But the spirituality of the Bible, that what it means to be healthy and human in the Bible is not to stuff down our negative emotions, right? This psalm brings out those negative emotions and brings them to God. So the psalm is really not about just stuffing down and just kind of like grunting through our problems in life. It's actually about bringing those disappointments to God himself and how we process what it's like to walk through disappointment. Certainly perspective helps us, right? Like when I'm hungry, it's not the same as, you know, a starving child in my neighborhood or someplace else who doesn't get food on a regular basis being hungry, right? I'm just hungry because I'm a freak and I like to eat every two hours, right? (laughs) Certainly perspective can help us. But what we're talking about here are the major disappointments of life, disappointments that happen to us, And when we walk through them, how do we know that God is with us? How do we know that God's with us when it seems like the bad news just kind of keeps coming and then next week, another round of bad news, another, you know, another thing of disappointment, another moment of failure or another moment of distrust or whatever, whatever the disappointments are. How do we keep walking through those things knowing that God is with us? So here's what I want to propose. That the main point of the psalm that we're going to look at this, kind of break it down. In life's disappointments, confidence in God's strength comes through rehearsing his love for us. In life's disappointments, confidence in God's strength comes through rehearsing his love for us. There is a rehearsing element that we're going to see through this psalm of rehearsing a story that's more essential to who we are in our life with God than just merely the emotions of being disappointed. So, what I want to do is, how do we rehearse God's love for us in life's disappointment? We're going to start out here in verses 1 to 3. Rehearse our disappointments to God. Um, by the way, uh, you'll see here the Q&A number. We've been doing this lately. Um, if you have any questions or whatever, just text them, and they come right to my phone. We'll talk about them um, after the sermon. But back to um, rehearsing our disappointments to God. Let me read these three verses to you, and then we'll kind of unpack these for a moment. O God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. O restore us. You have made the land a quake. You have torn it open. Repair its breaches for it totters. You have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. Right? 
I don't know if you have picked up on this in this, these verses, but there's a lot of accusations going on to God. <laughs> it, it, it's a bit in your face. Like, have you ever had one of these arguments either with your, if you're married, if you're with your spouse, or with your parents, or with your friends? It's like, you did, and you start listing out the things that you've been kind of, you've been filing away to kind of list out. There's actually seven things that, that David lists out. You have rejected us, you've broken our defenses, you've been angry with us, made the land a quake, you've torn the land open, you've made your people see hard things, and you've given us wine to drink that made us stagger. Which, back in those days, wine would have generally had the alcohol content around like 2 or 3%. So, like, this would have been like the extra, extra, extra nice wine that would have been like the stuff that you buy at the store, right? So this is... Um, this is uh, basically, he's like, God, you're giving us like a sedative sort of thing. And so um, there are seven. And now I, I know that if you're familiar with Bible numbers, you're like, oh, seven's an important number. I don't think that he's making like a, it's more like a wisdom thing of like, hey, there's seven things. This is like a complete experience of feeling totally disappointed with life. God, this just feels like being totally, completely abandoned, being totally disappointed by what's going on. And... <laughs> You just can't get around it. He says, you have seven times to God in his face. Now, I'm not sure I know the heart of the Lord apart from what he's revealed, but I'm not sure. I will feel comfortable saying, God, you've been angry with me. And it's right here. You have been angry. Yikes. I'm not sure that it's really important as to whether it's like factually true that God was angry with David. Certainly, we just read a story earlier in Samuel where David, where God was angry with David. But the emotion of what David is processing is the, is the important part here of feeling like, God, when you add up all that I'm going through right now, it certainly feels like you are angry with me. It certainly feels like you have forgotten me. It certainly feels like you've got a beef and you're grinding your axe and I'm the target. God, this is not fair. It feels like abandonment. I am disappointed with what you have done. It's interesting that the Bible gives us language to get in God's face with. This is, this is part of what true spirituality looks like. We, we often, we, we maybe get to the point of saying like, well, you should pray like this. And we start feeling like, eh, I don't know. We'll just leave that in the Bible. But this is a part of how the Bible instructs us to come to God, to come to him and say, here's the deal. You've done this, God. Like, what is the deal with all of this? Why don't we, I just, I was trying to think through, like, why don't we like to pray like this with God? There's a part of it where, like, maybe this is a religious language of kind of like, oh, that's a no-no. You don't, you don't tell God off. That's, like, you don't do that. Or there's a, it feels irreverent. Like, well, who am I to kind of tell God what he's done? Well, David's doing it. Uh, but sometimes we don't come to God like this because we feel like, well, you know what, um, I probably deserved it at the end of the day. I probably did something that was boneheaded. Um, or, you know what, God doesn't care. I, I don't come to God with my disappointments. He doesn't care about my disappointment. He's running the universe. And if Marvel's right, he's got a multiverse that he's running, right? What does he care about my paycheck being delayed by a week? <laughs> you know? But God does care. And I think probably one of the more dynamic, more real dynamics for us in New England is the phrase, it's just the way it is. It is what it is. And I'm just going to stuck, just going to, uh, just going to kind of move on. I'm going to stick with it. And it's just the way it is. Why would I even bother bringing it up with God? 
we're going to get to how we process those things. And I think at the end of this, we're going to try to explore a little bit of how we, some practices of what we do with this. But we'll keep moving through the passage and we'll get there. Verses 4 to 8. So the reason I'm using this phrase rehearsing is because we have this, you have, you have, there's a rehearsing dynamic at the very beginning of the psalm. You've done this, and here we get to verse 4 to 8, and we see God rehearsing God's presence among us. You'll notice that there's another you have that's the eighth one in the list that changes things dramatically. You have set up a banner for those who fear you. You have that they may flee to it from the bow, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give us, give us you have of the, of the list, and you notice who it's directed to? God's beloved ones. So amidst him saying, on the one hand, God, I feel totally disappointed with my lot in life of what you've done in my life. I feel like maybe you're angry with me and you're ripping my world apart. I know, I know, I know at the end of the day, I'm one of your beloved ones. There's a tension here that has to be held in place. This is the true spirituality of the Bible where it says on the one hand, this is my real experience and yet I know what the Bible says about your heart for me. And so then how do we then begin to work those things out? That's a part of what it means to be a disciple. But here we have, it's um, God saying, these are my beloved ones. You are his beloved amidst all the disappointments of your life. It is a dear term, right? Like, it's not really like we don't use beloved as like a regular word, do we? Like, what's up, man? What's up, my beloved? <laughs> no, we don't. What's up, what's up bro? You know, <laughs> or whatever. But beloved is like... Now, I don't know what your relationship is with your parents, but if you have an experience with a parent figure where you feel completely accepted and in a safe place, where you're like, I could, so for example, I could sit on my dad's porch and smoke cigars with my dad all afternoon for the rest of eternity because I love my dad and he's a safe person for me to be with because I know that he accepts me and wants me to be around him. That's what this is saying. I want you, is what God's saying at the end of the day. I want you to be with me. I want you in my family. And so then, what does verses 6 to 8 say? Let's look at these. Verses 6 to 8, the next slide over should be the next set of verses. Here we go. God has spoken in his holiness. With exaltation, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moa is my washbin, not my waistbin, as I said earlier. <laughs> Upon Edom, I cast my shoe over Philistia. I shout in triumph. Now, the first and last things are basically the enemies of God's people. But you'll notice what I want to focus on here is Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter, Moa is my uh, wash, bin, wash basin. Sorry, man, I keep wanting to use like, <laughs> I, I don't know why. It's not a shower stall, you know, like, I don't know. Sorry. Now, what I'm seeing here when I look at this is God is in the midst of their feeling like, God, you you really disappointed us. God is pointing at them and saying like, no, I actually, I inhabit the land. I inhabit where you are. Your people, so if you don't know the Bible, Israel was a nation of God's people that had 12 tribes. And he's listing off several of them here. He's saying, these people are mine. I live amongst them. You might even say he's using incarnational language, which is incarnation is when you come inside and dwell amongst something else. So God is in effect saying, I live 
amidst, I am identified with the very land and nation and people that are under attack that you feel like have all been abandoned. I am among you. I am one with you, right? Here is like a, a bit of a picture of this kind of God is saying, this is my home. You, the nation of Israel, you are my body. You belong to me. The pain that you feel, this is the people that I want and I feel your pain. This is, um, you could say, okay, God, right? I understand that you want to, that you live among us and you've incarnated, but you did hear that we just said that you've, you've allowed your enemies to defeat us, right? Did, did you just, did you forget God? We just commented, our people, your, our people, your people that you're identifying with have just been defeated in battle. Um, so what gives? If you're with us, then why, why are we defeated? See, in the Bible, the pattern of life, the pattern of God's presence with his people, the pattern of what it means to be spiritually alive, often follows almost exclusively this pattern of death, resurrection, and life. You see, this psalm is laying out this pattern, what it feels like to feel disappointment, what it feels like to feel expectations to be disappointed, what it feels like to be, in a certain sense, emotionally killed, right? And then what happens? God identifies with them in that and walks them through that death to be alive. This is what we see in the life of Jesus, Hebrews 12. We have this over here, um, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us let aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's the important part. Looking the, to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There is this pattern over and over and over and over in the Bible where disappointments, death, is walked through and we experience life in God's presence. It is done by Jesus who walks through our death and our sin Right? He leads the way through our, expect, uh, through our life being destroyed in a certain sense and, and then gives us in his resurrection renewal in him. So you see this, for example, then in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this over here. Can we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1? We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised, despaired of life itself. Indeed, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. See, again, here's this pattern of Paul living out this reality of disappointments in life. I mean, you can imagine, bro, this guy's seen the, the risen Christ who said, you're going to go on a missionary journey to the entire world and tell everybody about me. He's like, yippee. <laughs> and then he goes on later in the, in the letter and lists, you know, and I endured, you know, being lashed and beaten and a couple shipwrecks and starvation and diseases. And it's, I'm not exactly sure when this was, but I, if it were me, if it were, if I was abandoned at sea, floating around with sharks and all that stuff, I would probably be desp despairing of life itself. <laughs> That's just me. Maybe you guys are confident around sharks, but I'm not. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So here we have in Psalm 60, this experience of what Paul is talking about. God, we've been disappointed by life. 
life has just not turned out the way we thought it would. And then what does God do? He says, I'm among you and I've, I've become one with who you are. I get your experience. I, he's literally taken on the flesh of a man and lived a life in our place in Jesus. He is the resurrection and renewal of life among us. And when we say this, one of the things that kind of process from this is that this is done in a psalm about corporate life in Jesus. There is something about this where he says, God, this is our experience together. This is what we have experienced, these disappointments, and yet you are here among us. You are the one who gives us life. God, we come together to rehearse our disappointments and failures, and yet you are the one who renews us and restores us regularly, week in and week out, which is as we come out of or think through whatever the steps are with COVID and all that stuff, being with God's people on a regular basis to then be reminded and saying, you know what? This last week did not go the way I expected it to. None of my expect, I, I made a whole list of things to accomplish. And not only did I not get those things done, but a lot of other horrendous things got done. <laughs> God, I did not get anything done. I'm a failure with my life. And we need to come together on a weekly, regular basis to declare our God is among us and we are failures. <laughs> and our disappointments are real and true. And we get to rehearse those and say, but God has been our strength together. God is among us, and even if it must be virtually, whatever it is, to revive us together in his presence. We need to come together, right? This isn't like, I'm not saying, if you're at home right now, I don't want you to hear me guilting you about not being in person. I get that there are a lot of different very factors going on with how we do all this stuff right now. So this is just more of an encouragement to say, we need to find ways of saying together to each other, this is my disappointment in life. This is what it means to be me right now. And yet I need you, my brother and sister, in Jesus to say, God's going to be our strength amidst all this together. So with that being said, we're going to turn to verse 9 to 12. And we're going to rehearse how people are not our God. We're going to turn this, and we're going to kind of spend a few moments here at the end of this kind of thinking through how do we move forward with this. Verses 9 to 12, rehearse how people are not our God. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? Do you not go forth, O God, with our armies? I'm sorry, that's not a question. You do not go forth, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. Let's pause there and just comment. Right, he is making a very, he's saying, our armies don't got the strength. Our special leaders don't got the strength. Our organizational prowess don't got the strength. God Vain is the salvation of man. Human, hu humankind, humanity itself does not have the strength to defeat the enemies of God, to defeat our enemies, which is often ourselves and more often ourselves than it is our neighbors. But it is just something for us to remind us that <laughs> while I am saying on the one hand, we need to be sure that we're getting together and supporting each other and all that stuff. We do support each other, but people will let us down. The church, this church will let us down. I will let you down as a pastor. There's no special, there's no special juice that I get being a pastor that's going to be like, I'm going to be perfect for you. There's no special 
you know, blessing as a church that we're going to somehow not fail each other and hurt each other. There is strength that comes through our trials through other people. But those things, the strength ultimately is from God and not from people itself. People will fail us. One of the things that we have to say often in our house is, um, we, this is my wife saying, she will often just kind of at some point say, I'm just one person. <laughs> we have multiple, ex- you know, people coming with expectations and a lot of needs. And can you get me toast? Can, you know, I've got a poopy diaper. That's not me. That's one of the boys. You know, <laughs> all these things. And she's just like, I'm just one person. <laughs> right? We are just people at the end of the day. We are just people, and this is what the psalm reminds us of, right? Vain is the salvation of man. We we cannot, we just cannot be God for other people. And we have to rehearse that of like, guys, like we we expect people to do perform ways and they let us down. People people will fail us, but Jesus does not, which is where the psalm ends, verse twelve. With God with God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. Right? This is where the psalm ends, and we'll kind of turn here in a second to kind of think through what do we do with this. God has designed the church to be made up of only failures. Right? It's the entry mark to being in the church. <laughs> You're like, what does it mean to be a part of King's Cross Church? Well, check the box next to, I've failed in life. Because if you can't check that, then this maybe isn't the church for you. But to be a Christian is to be a failure and to recognize that God is the only one who can be our comfort and strength. And he will continually lead us through a church of broken, weak, and sinful people to confront our subtle expectations that our church, a pastor, or a program will be the thing that changes us. We have no right to expect people to be more than sinners, even the best of ones. It is God's love for us to frustrate our expectations of others that we may make anything but himself our source of confidence and strength in life. So I want to say that God leads us through a church to frustrate our expectations of other people, and we will often be the ways in which we disappoint each other. But let me comment a couple things here. Hebrews 12, I think, pulls out this dynamic that helps us kind of wrestle with some of the realities here. Hebrews 12, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no, quote, root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, that it may become... that and by it, many become defiled. You see, our disappointments in life are often the soil where roots of bitterness grow. Our disappointments of, other, uh, of how other people have failed us or whatever, our disappointments of how things should have gone and didn't go, a marriage that fell apart, friendships that fell apart, anything that we want to talk about. But here's the real thing. Bitterness only really grows of in the in the soil of real offenses when there's been real hurt like if there's like a perceived hurt like ah you know what didn't show up to my birthday party well you know he had to take his cat to the vet sorry <laughs> you know something like that sorry yeah i don't i'm trying to think of something important but trivial and i hate cats so i don't know don't take cats to the vet but real offenses are where bitterness really grows and i've seen this play out where people there are real offenses and real church situations. I'm thinking of specifically church situations. And people ultimately end up leaving the faith because they did not tend to their own soul of 
this is a real offense, a real bitterness, and they did not take that bitterness to God and work that out or address whatever the issues were, right? I'm not saying that necessarily like all the blame's on them, but I am saying that there is a bitterness that grows and will grow when we do not rehearse our disappointments in God's presence and deal with them with God himself. He says what this psalm is all about. It's, God, you have rejected this. I mean, you can't, you can't get more pointed with the disappointments of life and saying, God, you did this. And if we then say, God, you did this, and there's real disappointments in life with those real bitternesses that can come with those, and we don't take those to God himself to then work them out, then he will not only be not our strength, but we will be left to our own devices. And that's what Psalm, or Hebrews 12 is talking about. You become defiled. People will fail you and God will not. So let's put this together. What I want to recommend here, I'm going to, I'm going to speak more out of my hope for myself and for you than out of my own experience, some of it. Being disappointed with life is very challenging because it's often left on the inside, it's often personal, it's often unperceptible to other people. It's hard for other people to see that we're disappointed. It's hard for ourselves to really process that we're disappointed. Add to that the fact that we often, as a culture, do not have the ability to slow down and have what's called a practice of solitude, right? This this device right here, it is my life's goal to undermine this device in my life and in your life. <laughs> but this device causes so much distraction, causes so much opportunity for us to be distracted from even... Pro- I, can, I can play Angry Birds when I'm angry as a way of processing being angry or avoided processing being angry rather than actually just like... Hey, I need to work through this anger stuff. I can, I can, that's why Instagram is infinite scroll, right? You can just infinitely scroll through Instagram as a way of just like, I'm so frustrated right now, or I'm disappointed, or I'm sad, or whatever it is. I'm, I know some of you are on TikTok. I don't do TikTok. I've been listening to some articles about TikTok. Freaks me out a little bit, okay? I'm just saying. But if you're on TikTok, you just do one video after another. And the, algor- the algorithm's like super locked in to know how to keep your, keep your attention as a way of kind of avoiding dealing with these negative disappointments in life, anger, those types of things. And so we are left without a soul that's, with a soul that's unable to deal with our bitterness and our anger and our disappointments in life. So I, I put this book up here because I wanted to read from it. Um, Peter got me onto this. Ruth Haley Barton. Sacred Rhythms, and she has a whole chapter in this on solitude. Um, just, do you guys mind if I just read a couple sections from this? Um, she writes, I'm disturbed by my own compulsion to check email late at night and first thing in the morning. Exhaustion sets in when we are too accessible too much of the time. A soul-numbing sadness comes when we realize that a certain quality of life and quality of presence is slipping away as a result of too much convenience. No wonder we feel disconnected from God. We are rarely able to give Him our full attention in solitude and silence. While our nonstop pace may be tied to genuine passion for what we do, as it was in the disciples' case, we can reach a point where our genuine gifts and passions wear us out because we don't know when to stop. 
Another reason we are so tired is that we always we are always working hard to figure things out rather than learning how to cease striving, how to be with what is true in God's presence, and let God be God in the most intimate places of our life, which is, at the end of the day, the only thing that will change anything. We're too busy trying to make stuff happen rather than waiting God, waiting on God to make stuff happen. And then this is the final comment in she, or section of this area. But in solitude, there is rest from all of that. And for a time, it is as if I come in touch with a deep current of truth that runs underneath everything else. All things have already been reconciled in Christ. Even those people and things that seem broken beyond repair. In solitude, I know that even those things that seem irreconcilable are somehow reconciled in Christ. Everything is already won through the person and work of Christ in the timelessness that is God. When I am in solitude, the presence of God is so real and so full that there is nothing else I want. The people I love who are with me in God's presence beyond the surface uh, choppiness of all the stress that separates us as finite beings on this earth, and I am able to experience our ultimate togetherness in Christ. This experience is absolutely the only thing that fills the longing of my heart. She comments there, It is God who is ultimate, and all of us are in God. Maybe nothing in my external world has changed, but I have changed, and that is the, what the people around me need more than anything. I want to recommend us considering what does it mean to shut off our devices, to shut off our music, to shut off all the stimulation around us and process our disappointments in life. A couple of you may remember, um, a few of you may remember this, um, as a personal illustration of why I need this along with you. A couple of years ago, uh, we ran into a situation with our previous denomination where we needed to make a, a vote as a church on making a public statement about issues that we had and concerns that we had. That, uh, that was kind of largely the only way in which we engaged with that as a church. And then we ultimately ended up having to vote as a church on leaving the denomination. Behind the scenes and all that stuff, um, I got personal letters to my address telling me that I was sinning because we had made that public statement. Um, I had my friends make charges about my character in mass emails to other regions of the denomination. Uh, none of my friends reached out to us. Um, and then they charged us a significant amount of money on the way out <laughs> uh, because of some technicalities. All at the hands of my friends. These were people, and when I say friends, I mean these were the people that Michelle and I got married and we spent 12 years of our life with these people. And they did horrible things in the name of Jesus. They weaponized and abused and all that stuff. So when we come to the psalm and we say, God, what are our disappointments in life? I come to it and say, God, I have those friendships and all of that 12 years of life burned to the ground. And yet, through all of that, the Lord has, I think, made us a better church that is more attuned to the issues of power abuse and power dynamics in church and religious organizations, how we care for the abused, more sensitive to people who've been through traumatic experiences, all those sort of good things. I think that we're better off in, in a hundred different ways. And yet, that doesn't deal... They, I can say, hey, count our blessings. 
and stuff it with this other stuff. It's like, well, this psalm, I think, leads us into a place of saying, we need to bring both of these to the Lord. And the way in which we do that is by being open and honest and at silence before the Lord. And that is not something I'm good at. So I recommend this whole thing of let's let's move towards a practice of solitude in the regular days of our regular realities of our lives um, as a non-practitioner, <laughs> as somebody that longs beside you to be in the presence of the Lord and to be restored by Him and to be known by Him and to be able to express my pain and hurt to Him as somebody who hasn't really done much of this. I, I looked at. Uh, our elder Peter, he's older than me too, so he's an elder elder, the eldest elder of the church, and others in the church as examples of this. But what I might want to recommend is, what do we do with this? I'm going to close this out here in a second. I know this has kind of been a little bit long. What would it look like for us to spend 15 to 30 minutes this week at some point, 15 to 30 minutes where we turn our phone off, if, you, if you're married and you have kids, or, you don't, or you're not married and you have kids, Work with a friend to try to figure out, like, how can I just get maybe 30 minutes? And, and if you have kids, I would recommend maybe close to, like, an hour just so you can drive somewhere and be away. <laughs> but what does it look like to get 15 to 30 minutes, no devices, no screens, no music, no stimulation, nothing? Just take your Bible, maybe turn to Psalm 23, read the Psalm 23 before you start. The Lord is my shepherd. This is the one I want to spend time with. And just sit on that verse and then be silent. Set a timer on your phone or whatever if you're like anxious. I've, I've done this for five minutes where you're like, I'm going to be quiet for the next five minutes. And like 30 seconds in, I'm kind of like, how much Google, how much time is left on the timer? Four minutes and 32 seconds. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but to be silent before the Lord. To allow Him to speak to you. Because it's in that that we begin to see that while we maybe have no salvation in us, verse 12, with God we shall do valiantly. It is He who will tread down our foes. In life's disappointments, confidence in God's strength comes through rehearsing His love for us. So let's pray. Father, as we've looked at this psalm and considered the realities of this passage and even a little bit of what you may hold for us in solitude before you to find strength in you. I pray that amidst all of this, we would experience your love for us and know your care for us. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I want to turn quickly or briefly to doing uh, our Q&A. Um, you said we can't expect people in the church to be more than sinners. How does that how does that how does personal responsibility play into this? Especially now that we are new creature creations, can't we expect the best and give grace for the for less? It just seems like a focus on grace without expectations. Right. I um what I mean by that is to say we do want to see people grow and change. And there's certainly a lot of commands in the New Testament, right? And especially the Old Testament, right? We, there's a lot of commands of what we, expectation of what we can hold out for people. But while we do have the Spirit in us, there is still a prone to wander, a prone to failure that when people do fail, it shouldn't be a surprise, I think is kind of what I mean to say by that. Is that when people do let us down or they don't live up to what we were hoping for them or 
we discovered there's more to the story than we thought, anything like that. It is certainly painful and hard, but it's also it shouldn't be a shock. Like, oh my gosh, you're still not fully redeemed. I think that's what I mean by by that dynamic. Does that make sense? Um, second question. Um, as a part of rehearsing God's love, how can we open pathways of being beloved to each other in life's disappointments? Anonymous, please. Good grief. I need questions on this. As a part of rehearsing God's love, how can we open pathways of being beloved to each other in life disappointment? Um, I think what I understand from this question is amidst disappointments of life, how can we celebrate and affirm each other amidst our life together? As a part of rehearsing God's love. I think a part of this is, so if you have um, at the beginning of, for example, 1 Corinthians, you have Paul who is about to list out a number of ways in which he's disappointed with them. He then still is a, has a way of being able to identify God's grace and activity in somebody's life. And I think um, it's easy uh, coming up with a list of disappointments is easy. Being able to hold on to and celebrate the good dynamics of some somebody's discipleship or what their life in Jesus looks like is hard. Because at least for me, I just I can kind of obsess about like this isn't right, this isn't right, this is right. I think the way we can be a better of affirming or opening up pathways for other people to feel like they are loved amidst life's disappointments is is making a, a concerted effort to recognize whatever good and godly things are going on in this person's life is a gift from our Father in Heaven. It is God's grace in their life. And then communicating that dynamic, those observations, or celebrating those things. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.